unlike this morning, it would have been a sunny, bright, and warm morning. And for these young men, they would have thought that this morning probably would have been much like any other. They've been hanging out with this group of guys, these same group of guys, for a couple years now. And, and this morning, where the, the closest of friends, they would run on ahead and they would be on a very specific mission, a specific goal, a specific thing in mind. They had something to accomplish. And as they returned back to the rest of the group, he would jump on this animal. And as they would ride in, they were greeted with shouts and with cheering and in a celebration like no other, really. People are coming out of their homes. They're flooding into the streets, and they, they couldn't wait to get to the parade. And as they grew closer, as this group grew closer to the final destination, the elite were gathered as well. You know the ones that had it all together. The ones that everybody looked to and said, man, if I could only be like them. That's our goal, right? It's just to be like them. And as they gathered, they were the ones who, they were in charge and everybody knew it. They were the ones that were calling the shots. And as this man got off the animal, got off the donkey, They started to question him. They started to ask him, who do you even think you are? You come in here and you say that you're this Messiah, this man who has all of this power on heaven and on earth, but who do you really think you are? Where do you get this authority? And in the moment, you can understand that the group is looking at their rabbi, their teacher, their Messiah, and they're waiting for the words. What is he going to say? How is he going to answer this one? These are the ones who call the shots, control so much, and they're questioning him. And his answer is so profound, but yet so deep and so meaningful. Let me tell you a story. That's how he responds. Ha, <laughs> who do I think I am? Pull up a chair. Let me tell you a story. These words, these past few weeks, we've heard many times. Let me tell you a story. The kingdom of God is like, and it's words that we've, quite honestly, have probably started to just become maybe a little numb to even. Let me tell you a story. Stories help us understand a deeper meaning and a deeper maybe purpose of what is actually being told. And Jesus was actually the epitome of this, right? So many of Jesus's teachings are in the form of a parable or a story. Why? I mean, we've been talking about this so often is because Jesus is a God who is, is a God of clarity, I, and I, I truly believe that. And so when we hear stories, it helps us understand deeper what he is actually talking about. I have kids, and so when I tell them a story, usually it's a, a way for me to get a point across at a level they understand, right? That's the goal with Jesus even. And so when he tells 
this, these words, when he shares these words in this story, let me tell you a story, he's really saying, I have a deeper meaning that I want you to get. Pull up a chair. Lean in a little bit closer. I've often wondered what would it have felt like to honestly be standing in the crowd as Jesus first uttered those words. Let me tell you a story. Because you know that the presence of the religious elite, the Pharisees, probably was caught off guard. I mean, they asked this very pointed question, who do you think you are? You claim to be God. And Jesus' response is, well, let me tell you a story. They're like, I don't need a story. I want to know what you think you are doing. And I, I just kind of picture myself being like, you know, Peter in the background, like, Jesus, you could have chose so many other words and statements to use. Besides, let me tell you a story. This is not Sunday school Bible time. This is time for you to, to really stick it to them, for you to really jab them a little bit more. And you let me tell you a story? But there's also the reality of if Jesus was standing here, what story would he tell or would he share if he was here? Would it be a story that made us feel all warm and fuzzy? Or would it be a story that makes us incredibly uncomfortable? Let me tell you a story. I think the goal, the goal for me in this series, and I think even especially today, is when Jesus says, let me tell you the story, the next question that comes to my mind is, what and whose story are we listening to in our lives? What and whose story are we listening to? Are we listening to a story that we want to tell ourselves and make sure that ourselves know? Or are we listening to a story that Jesus is laying out and sharing to us? See, the scene that we talked about right in the beginning here is a scene that unfolds in Mark 11. It's a story that a lot of us are familiar with, especially around Easter time, right? The story of the triumphal entry. It's a story where Jesus rides into the city, and as he rides into the city, people are taking off their cloaks, and they're laying on palm branches, and Hosanna, Hosanna. They're worshiping him. They're, they're exclaiming that they believe that Jesus is who he says he is. He's this mighty conqueror, and they have this story in their mind of what Jesus is going to be, but he doesn't fit their story template. Because in their mind, he rides in on this incredibly muscular, more than likely deep, dark black stallion that is decked out with a military garment. And he has a sword that only he can wield. And, and you can just imagine the muscles and the veins pulsating out of their victorious story, fairy tale Messiah as he slays the Roman government. And hurrah, we have one once and for all, right? But Jesus rides in on a donkey, a borrowed one, in a linen robe with his three-year-old Birkenstocks on, with a punk crew of 12 young guys. There's no military. There's no stallions. 
the dude probably doesn't even own a knife. It doesn't fit the story they want to be told. And as Jesus rides in in Mark 11, if you were to read it, go on and read it, he enters in and he's being declared this Messiah. And he goes and he makes three stops at the temple. And as he makes these stops, we know what happens here. He, he, he starts to have his heart essentially broken for the house of his father. He sees things going on, people being taken advantage of, selling of sacrifices. He's, he's seeing objectifying of the temple. And so this is the moment where Jesus gets so utterly upset that he goes off and he, he flips all over the tables. He drives people out of the temple. He's, he's trying to reclaim it. Like we understand that there is a deep, moment in the heart of Jesus, and he is doing one thing and one thing only. He is, he is essentially purifying the temple for what's about to happen. And in the process of doing so, he's ticking off every single religious elite member in the group. And we have to understand the background of Mark 11 so that we understand where we are going to today because essentially all this is going on and as they are talking about who Jesus is and they question his authority and they tell us who you are, who do you think you are? What authority do you have? And Jesus is in this conversation and then he just responds. Well, let me tell you a story. Mark 12. This is what it says, Mark 12, one through eight. So then Jesus began to teach with stories. You see, a man planted a vineyard, and he built around it. He dug a pit for pressing out the grape juice and built a lookout tower. And then he released the vineyard to tenant farmers and moved to another country. At the time of the grape harvest, he sent one of his servants to collect his share of the crop. But the farmers grabbed the servant, they beat him up, and they sent him back empty-handed. The owner then sent another servant. They insulted him, and they beat him over the head. The next servant that he sent was killed. And others he sent were either beaten or killed until there was only one left, his son, whom he dearly loved. So the owner finally sent him, thinking, surely they will respect my son. But the tenant farmers said to one another, here comes the heir to this estate. Let's kill him and get the estate for ourselves. So they grabbed him and murdered him and threw his body out of the vineyard. Jesus here is painting this picture with, with common phrases and illustrations and metaphors that the Israelites would understand. The Jews would understand and even the Romans. It's a, it's a it's a community that would understand the terminology he's using of a vineyard and grapes and a watchtower and servants. And so here he is painting this, pic this picture of the Old Testament talks very commonly and often about a vineyard representing God's nation. So he's using a, a metaphor that they would understand. And vine dressers would be the rulers of Israel and then the vineyard would be the people. Right? And so... The vine dressers didn't buy it. They didn't build it. They were given, they were given it to handle, to watch over, and to follow the owner's desires. To follow the owner's desires. 
But what happens? They go against him. I mean, it's right there, right? They go against him. They go against his desires. They think that they know how to run it better. That they don't need the instruction up here, so we're just going to reject that. Does this sound familiar? And so what does the owner do? He says, hey, I'm, I'm going to send a messenger. They beat up the first one, and they send him back empty-handed. So he sends another one. They smack him upside the head. He keeps sending messenger after messenger. They get beat up. They get mocked. They get insulted. They get killed. And finally, it says, in, until there was only one left. And then he sends his, sends his own son. And, and remember the mindset of the workers here, of the, of the vine dressers here. Well, if we kill the son, if we kill the son, he has nobody to inherit this anymore. So then he's just going to give it to us. Can I just say, like, that's one of the stupidest line of thinking I've ever heard. Well, if we kill everybody, then I'm just going to get it. No, he's still going to take it. He's still going to have it. But they, they just, in their own mind, well, we, we know what's best. We know how to do this. If we just kill the son, everything's going to be fine. We'll just get it. He's just going to throw his hands up in the air and wave around like he just don't care and quit. Ain't going to happen. So what do they do? They kill him. And what story is Jesus telling here and sharing here? I think it's the same question of what story are we listening to? Because I, I believe that we're still living in a culture that says, you can figure it out on your own. You do you, boo-boo, whatever makes you happy. However you want to act, however you want to live, you don't need my instruction. You just do you, and it's all going to be good. We were just talking uh, last, last night, two nights ago, with, with Court's parents, and, and I have a friend of mine that they, they're doing this way of like leading their kids that blows my mind of like whatever our kid wants to do we allow them to do they don't have a bedtime whenever they're tired they'll just crawl in bed we don't have family meal times whenever they're hungry they they just go and make themselves their own food and if they want to get dressed in the morning they can get dressed but if they don't want to get dressed in the morning that's not a big deal they can do themselves we're helping them discover who they are in every single aspect of the way. And like, we don't have rules. It's this whatever they want. And I'm thinking to myself, like, that is one of the stupidest lines of parenting I've ever heard. I don't have it all figured out. Let me just be the first one to say that, right? I, I'll just, like, my sons like to wear their shorts on backwards some days. I don't get it. It's weird. But I'm like, you do you, boo-boo. That's not actually going to hurt. At least you have shorts on today, Right? <laughs> But like this idea of like, do whatever makes you happy. You want ice cream for breakfast? Man, we got mint chocolate chip and Superman. I, I think this is essentially the same thing. Jesus is like, what story are you listening to? Whose story are you listening to? What is Jesus getting at here? I mean, Jesus is using prophetic imagery in this parable. I mean, he's very clearly sharing that he knows exactly who he is. I am the last messenger. I'm the son, and you're missing it. 
he's using divine titles. He's, he, he knows exactly who he is and what he is about to go through. Death. If we just kill the son, then everything will be ours. He knows exactly what's about to happen. But yet he still goes through with it. He still walks and is sharing this story. And he's like, you guys don't understand this, but let me try and help you. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way. The son was the final messenger. There would be no other. So either they would accept the message of the son or face a certain judgment. And if you do not hear the well-beloved son of God, you have refused your last hope. He is God's ultimatum. Nothing remains when Christ is refused. No one else can be sent. Heaven itself contains no further messenger. So if Christ is rejected, hope is rejected. And in the midst of being asked about who he is and where his ultimate authority lies, Jesus is pointing back to common imagery and practices that they would try and understand. And he he demonstrates that you may not get it directly with me right here. But let me point you to a story that hopefully will will let you understand it at a deeper level. He's speaking in the parables and stories not to bring confusion, but rather to bring clarity. Because here's the, the, the ultimate reality is, as I was processing this with some people, a lot of times when we, when we talk about parables, people are like, man, I just, they just seem so confusing though. And, and Jeremy Grinnell, who has spoken here a few times, has said like, if, if, if the stories that Jesus tells lead to confusion, the error is on the listener, not on the teller, right? Because God is not a God of confusion. God is a God of ultimate clarity. And so if we're not understanding it, it's probably due to we're, we're missing something down the line on our journey and our communication where we've crossed some wires. God is not a God of confusion. That's why so often he sat down and he said, well, let me tell you a story. Stories. I'm one of those weird guys who still use Twitter, now called X. I don't know if that title is actually going to stick or not. Um, one of the people I follow on, on, on it is a guy named Tony Hawk. Anybody know who Tony Hawk is? Thank you. Here's what's so interesting. Tony Hawk. Tony Hawk, when I was a young boy growing up, Tony Hawk, and I, I, will, I will stand on this, is, I believe, the best uh, skateboarder to ever live. Phenomenal skateboarder. Uh, he has multiple different games out and everything. Tony Hawk Pro Skater, and I think they're up to like Tony Hawk Pro Skater 27 now. They're still making them. But here's what's so intriguing and interesting to me. Tony Hawk now uh, just kind of goes about and tries to live his life as a normal dude. And, and for the most part, he's actually somewhat successful at it because he shares all these stories on his Twitter and Instagram of people not recognizing who he is. TSA. He was going on the plane, and the TSA agent looks at his ticket and goes, Hawk, like that, that, that skater dude? And he's like, yeah, like the skater dude. Huh, I wonder what he's up to these days. And he's like, this, waiting in line at TSA. <laughs> or he goes to a skate park, and he brings his skateboard. And the dude now is like older. I don't know how old he is. And he brings his skateboard, and he's like, hey, you mind if I skate with you? And they're like, you know how to skate? He's like, eh, kind of. 
can you do like a kickflip? And he does it. They're like, oh, that's pretty cool. Hey, you kind of look like that dude on my video game. <laughs> yeah, I get that a lot. Or, or he's coming off the plane, and he has three skateboards that he carried on, and this lady is trying to get her bag, but all of his skateboards are in the way, and she's like, man, what punk kid has all these skateboards on a plane? And he stands up, and he's like, oh, sorry, that's me. And she's like, you skateboard? He's like, yeah. Are you any good? <laughs> kind of. Like, this dude literally lives a life of constantly being not recognized, forgotten, overlooked. I mean, this dude is a legend in the skateboarding community. There was a phase in my life I was like, I could be a skateboarder. And then I went down into one of those ramps, and I said, I can't be a skateboarder. I can't be a skateboarder. He, he continually lives this life of, I'm, I'm him. I'm, I'm here. <clears throat> I don't just look like the guy. I am the guy. This is exactly the same thing that happens to Jesus over and over and over again. I don't just look like the Messiah. I, I am the Messiah. You know the one that you've been searching for, the one that you've been looking for, the one that you've been talking about for hundreds upon hundreds of years? I'm him. Nah, you can't be him. You can't be him. You don't fit the story I've told myself about him. I mean, that's the story even Tony Hawk. You can't be that skateboarder, dude. I thought he'd be younger. I thought he'd be taller. I thought he'd be, and we fill in the blank, and we say the same thing with Jesus. Well, I mean, that's what they did back then, right? Like, well, you can't beat him. I thought you'd have an army. I thought you'd have this. I thought you would say this. I, I didn't think you would ask me to do this. We tell ourselves a story, and this is what Jesus is talking about, right? He's right here, right before their eyes, the one they've been looking for, and he's mistaken. He's overlooked. He's passed over. How often do we even miss or mistake the things right before us that God has done? How often in our lives that we have this conversation, we have a conversation as not the chance to share maybe, <clears throat> and we take it, right? A conversation uh, to share the good news of what God has done, to, to talk all about who he is, but rather in this moment, we just vent and we catch up on the latest gossip. We mistake an opportunity to share about God's goodness for an opportunity to bring gossip and destruction. Or how often do we do it when, when this right job opens up and, and we give glory to the one that we could and should give glory to the one who orchestrates it all, but instead we choose to never mention his goodness and his provision, but rather say, I've done it. I finally found it. How about God's presence where he, he covers us and protects us from the, the brokenness all around us in, in our world and in, in, in our even families and in our schools or whatever it might be. But we miss it because we believe that we've gotten this far all on our own. Those words, let me tell you a story. I, I just picture Jesus saying those words so often to me in my life 
Well, let me tell you a story. Can I just ask again, what and whose story are we listening to? Because here's where it gets even better. Jesus tells this story in the first, four, or first eight verses there. Let me tell you a story. He talks about the story. And then he goes and he says this in verse, um, <clears throat> verse 9. And basically, this would be like the Kyle translation of what he would have said. Now, let me explain it to you like you're a third grader, right? So what do you suppose, though, this is verses uh, 9 through 12. So what do you suppose the owner of the vineyard will do, Jesus asks. Well, I will tell you. He will come and kill those farmers and lease the vineyard to others. Don't you ever read this in the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. It was at that moment the religious leaders wanted to arrest Jesus because they realized he was telling the story against them. <laughs> what punks. They were the wicked farmers. But they were afraid of the crowd, so they left him and they went away. Here's this moment, right? As Jesus basically says in verses 9 through 12, he, he draws the point. He's like, so what do you suppose the, the owner would do? And he says, I'm going to tell it to you like you're a third grader. He's going to go kill him. And then he's going to find other people to do what he's asked them to do. And here's why. And he goes back to Psalm 18, which is, which is a, a, <clears throat> a Hosanna psalm. And it's a, a, a psalm that is prophetic, pointing directly to Jesus as he quotes it. The stone that the builders rejected, Jesus, has now become the cornerstone. The cornerstone in, in ancient times was the stone that was, was the, the, the center, basically. It's actually one of the corners. And they built out from there to make sure everything was in line and appropriately built. That stone was the most important piece of the building, really. But the stone that was rejected has now become the center cornerstone. And what you have rejected is you have rejected the Messiah. And this is what the Lord is doing, and it's wonderful to see. He's pointing back to the Hosanna, Hosanna Psalm 118, where the Messiah is prophesied and shown to Israel, and Jesus rejected even when he was initially welcomed and praised. It's, it's awful interesting how quick that changed. From a Sunday morning, throwing down your cloaks and your palm branches, to now the religious elite are understanding that Jesus is speaking against them. And so what's their answer? We got to kill the son. Again, if I'm Peter, I'm like, did you not hear the story? And they're like, no, we didn't. We didn't pay attention, to be honest with you. We didn't pay attention. And Jesus being linked to the rock, the chief cornerstone. Rocks were also symbolic. The rock in the desert that provided, the rock that crushes the kingdoms of this world. And yet Jesus knew what he was saying and they knew what he was speaking against them. And the Holy Spirit convicting them to the core in the heart. But instead of receiving the conviction, turning and repenting and following Jesus, what did they do? They rejected it. And they rejected him. And they plotted to murder him. Let me tell you a story. Can you imagine standing at the temple as Jesus uttered those words on that moment? That would be one Sunday morning I don't think you would forget. Because as all the people start to understand who Jesus is talking about, the religious elite know who he's talking about too. And they start to plot to kill Jesus and they leave to scheme and to figure out a way to kill the son. 
I oftentimes find myself asking the question of if God is standing right next to me, if Jesus was standing right here, right next to me, when he says those words to me, let me tell you a story. What story would it be? If Jesus were to look at me and says, Kyle, let me tell you a story. Would I be okay with this story? Kyle, let me tell you a story when you were wandering in your life, when you were searching and struggling to find truth and you were blaming the Father for everything. But you failed to see how his hand was protecting you from the brokenness of your idiotic high school friends and choices. Kyle, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story that you were angry so many nights and cursing my name as a young man for everything that had happened, but not seeing God's goodness and faithfulness till years that has passed that were permeating through the whole entire time. Let me tell you a story. Kyle, let me tell you a story and explain it to you like you're a third grader of a young man who was terrified and scared of what the future may hold terrified and scared of relationships, of family dynamics, of work dynamics, and everything in between. But let me tell you the story of the one that was holding everything together was also holding you very closely. Kyle, I just want to tell you this last story. I sent all these people to you. All of these people who to tell you about God's goodness and his love and his radical forgiveness. And time after time after time, you rejected them. All the mentors that tried so hard, all the leaders in your life, even the pastors, I sent them, and you were in a season of rejection. That's all you knew how to do. Keep people at this length, build up the fences, keep people away, rejection to the core. But let me tell you a story of when I sent my son so intimately into your life that you'll never forget it. To tell you that your life won't end in destruction, but rather in restoration to me and to my heart. Would you let me tell you a story that's my story? Not one that you've made up. What and whose story are we listening to in our life? God is telling the story of his radical love and his radical patience. Time after time, he sent messengers to tell the world who he is. Time after time, the world, us, we shut them out, we killed them, and we rejected the messenger. And then the father and his goodness and his son, what happened? Our world killed him. We killed him. We rejected his message in he himself. As we close today, as I'm going to invite John up. God, though, is still telling a story. God is still telling a story. And his spirit, his Holy Spirit that he left us with reminds us of who he is and what he has done and what he is doing. Go back all the way to Genesis. In the beginning, the story begins with God speaking life into a void. And his instructions were simple. You can do whatever you want. You can have whatever you want except for this one tree. Rejection happened when Adam and Eve chose to go against 
God's command and they bit the fruit and sin enters the world. Rejection of God. Prophet after prophet, we see this unwind. Prophet after prophet, time after time, messenger after messenger, all pointing and sharing God's good message. And time after time after time again, we're choosing fleshly world over God's heart. And then the moment comes where Jesus sends his 12, his his buddies ahead of him to grab the donkey, to ride in. It's a story we started out with where he runs into the city and time after time he was rejected. He was mocked. He was insulted. The man, Jesus, they would strip him. They would crucify him to death. A painful and excruciating death as he hung on the tree. And some of his last words of, Father, would you forgive them? They know not what they do. Rejection. And we celebrate, we know that he rises from the dead, that that death no longer is victorious, that God himself, Jesus himself, rose from the dead, came back. And again, he's pointing back to the eternal love of the Father. And a lot of times that's where we stop. Hosanna, he's alive, hooray, and we go and we have our happy little lives. But the reality is, is the story ain't done, church. He has left his spirit to walk with us, to guide us to the end of the day. And we stop and we think the story ends at his resurrection. But the good news is, is that he has not left us alone in a broken and even at times defeated world. And I don't know about you, but I need the spirit more some days than I've ever needed in my life. I need the spirit to teach me and to show me how to be a great father because I I didn't have a good example, but I have a great eternal example. I need the spirit to show me how to lead a church because to be honest with you, there's days where I have no idea what I'm doing, but I I trust the good shepherd and the ultimate rabbi Messiah to, to lead me as I try and lead his bride. I need the spirit of God to show me what it looks like to love in a marriage because God has loved his bride so deeply and passionately. His spirit is moving. It's here. It's stirring. And he's not done. The story's not done. And the message is the same. Turn from your fleshly, worldly desires. Abide. Be with me. And repent of your sin. His love is good. And he is God. And the story is still being written. I don't know where you are in your faith walk. I don't know exactly where you are. I don't even know what you've walked with this past week. Can I just share this? I truly believe God is poising his church for for a new, fresh outpouring. I don't know exactly what it is. I have some, I've had some dreams and stuff of what God might want to do. I don't know what that is. But I do believe that God is stirring within each and every one of us to take a step in our faith. And for some of us, that's a baptism. We already have some people signed up to be baptized, but there's some of us sitting here today that maybe we've never been baptized. And maybe it's time to take that step. 
there's some of us who our life has just been chaos and we're like, God, where are you? And God may just be also saying, I've been right here all along. If you would just look up, you would see me. And some of us need to physically change our posture in life to understand his presence deeper. There's other of us today that maybe need to rededicate our lives to Jesus. We've been living life and we've been trying to do things on our own and Jesus is saying, come back to me. Abide in me. Trust in me again. The beauty of Jesus is he never said, say this fancy prayer and get all the words right. He just said, follow me. And so when you say a prayer of rededication or even a first time faith prayer, it's not that you have to have the right words. It's Jesus, I know I'm, I'm a messed up sinner and I know you are a perfect holy savior. Would you forgive me of my sins? I repent and I turn away from them. Give me your spirit to lead me. It's not like we have to do all these things and magically wear the right clothes or the right words. Or It's follow me. I don't know where you're at. But what I do know is that God desires to pour out his spirit so powerfully on each and every one of us. And if we would take the step to change our posture, we would maybe start to see his presence like we've never seen before. If you've never been baptized, can I challenge you? Can I challenge you? I want to have a conversation. Why? What's stopping you? What's holding you back? Maybe you're baptized as an infant and you're like, yeah, check that box. It was good. But maybe God's been working in you to publicly make that decision your own. I'd love to have you get baptized again in our outdoor service. Maybe there's some of us who are like, Kyle, I got baptized two years ago, but I've struggled. Maybe you again have another chance to stand before your church family and your friends and say, I am publicly going public once again for Jesus Christ, my Savior. Wherever you are, whatever you're walking in, God is a God who is faithful and true and good. He sent his son to pour out his love to us on a cross. On a cross. And he rose again and gave us his spirit and he's walking with us each and every day. Would we choose to not reject the messenger, but rather receive his message and walk in his presence each and every day? Would you join me in prayer? Father, we uh, just come before you. And we thank you. We thank you for who you are and what you've done. And Lord, I ask that as you just pour out your spirit, as you give us your presence like we've never felt before in our lives, that we would just rest in you. Lord, that we would make room. Even in our busy chaos and busy schedules, Lord, that we would prioritize you and your presence above everything else. Lord, that we would make room for your, your voice to speak to us, that we would make room for your presence to be poured out onto us, that we would make room for your miracles to 
to manifest and that we would see them in our world and in our lives today, Lord, that we would make room for the prophetic and and the dreams that you want to give us, Lord, that we would make room for you to do what only you can do. So, Lord, this song that we're about to sing, would you shake us up, Lord? Would you move us to a place that we, we make all the room for you that you are asking us to, that you would stir us to a place of complete submission and surrender to you, Lord? And I pray that if you are nudging people, if you are urging people to to take a step of faith of get baptized, join a small group, find community, or or rededicate or dedicate their lives for the very first time today, Lord, that they would take that step. And Lord, that you would allow us to journey with them and that they would let us know. We don't care. I don't care about numbers and, and building a big castle here, Lord. But I know that there's a party when when a lost son or daughter comes home. And so, Lord, when we ask that, hey, if you, if you made a decision that you would let us know, it's not so that we can put it in a spreadsheet, it's so that we can celebrate with your angels and with you. It's so that we can walk together like you've designed us to. It's so that we can be the hands and the feet, the beautiful bride of you, your bride, dressed in white and splendor. God, would you draw us back? Draw us back to your heart. So, Lord, we make room for you, your desires, and your will. And we ask, come, Holy Spirit. Come. Come.